Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, what's up? It's Dan Canner, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 131, and we're going to uh, dive into some very, very current news. Uh, we're talking about the old t- ticket scalping scandal that's kind of uh, reared its ugly head this weekend. Right. And is it a scandal? Is it not a scandal? We don't we're know. Gonna, we're going to get into all that. When this broke a few days ago, we got, in pretty much every avenue that people can contact us, yeah. we got requests to talk about this. Right. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, even like DMs on Instagram. Mm-hmm. We got emails about this. A lot of people are upset to sort of um, catch everybody up. It recently came out through Billboard that a representative for Metallica negotiated with Live Nation to take 4,000 tickets, give or take. Well, actually, it's an exact number. 4,400 tickets per show on the stadium tour that we saw. Yeah. And directly put them in the resale market. Right. Like places like StubHub and whatever. Right. Where they're being sold for more than face value. Yeah. And so the implications are, did Metallica know? Did they not know? Are Metallica fucking with us? Um, is this illegal? Is this unethical? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of people are upset. They, they feel a little bit betrayed. Right. What we're going to do in this episode is sort of dispassionately tease out the, the details. Yeah. For those of you who may not have read the article, or maybe those of you who found it kind of confusing, because it is a little convoluted. It is. There's a lot of details there to go over, and we're going to kind of break down as much as we can so that you guys can you know, make a fair uh, assessment for yourselves. And we feel that this deserves a full episode, yeah. you know, and not just like a little quick blurb about it. Well, we it. want to take it seriously, and, yeah. and you know, we're not just pandering fanboys. Metallica is one of the most important bands of our lives, mm-hmm. and uh, but we also feel responsible to our listeners and whatever is people yeah. navigating the world to take this kind of thing seriously. And, and uh, we are going to share our personal thoughts, yeah. but we're going to sort of reserve judgment until the end. Yeah. As of now, Metallica, uh, this is Monday afternoon or Monday, what time is it? 1130, Monday <laughs> morning. Um, Metallica hasn't made a statement. Yeah. So we don't really know yet. In the next week, they may. It may yeah. make bigger news. It may die out. I don't know. There are people who don't think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. There are people who are sort of saying... This has been going on forever, and uh, if the tickets were going to get scalped anyway, why shouldn't they make some money off of it? And then there are people who still think they were colluding behind our backs. And anyway, like I said, we're going to get all the details down mm-hmm. so that uh, you faithful listeners out there sort of have a place to put your feelings about it. Right. We yeah. want to help you do that. This may also be a case where a lot of listeners don't aren't concerned with this, and that's fine too. We're going to try to make it interesting and informative, and as usual, goddamn entertaining. That's right. Uh, first, the housekeeping, though. We got to do it. We got to do it. We're going to take we, some responsibility here. We owe it to ourselves. Uh, we're on the iTunes. Go leave us a review. If you haven't done it, 
Go do it. We're do it. we're above 400, which is really good. We're that's doing really awesome. We're doing really well over there. However, that's not an excuse not to go do your part as a listener to say thank you and just leave the review. Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. It's one of the easiest things you, I've said this before. One of the easiest things you'll ever do. I think I'd say it's fairly too very easy. To do. Making a turkey sandwich is more involved. Yeah, it requires way more ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, more time, right. more effort, and, and maybe you want your bread toasted. That takes some time. What too. are the ingredients of leaving a positive review? The ingredients. If it was a are, goulash, what, what are uh, we... you have to have uh, eyes, fingers, a computer, and a keyboard, and a soul. I think and internet. Yeah. You have to have been imbued with a divine soul. Right. Exactly. You don't even. I'm. You know. You don't even have to have sight. You know. There's ways, yeah, for, ways for blind people to, to navigate around around computers. You can absolutely. You can absolutely do it if you're deaf and mute. Yeah. And blind. Anybody can do it. I think you say you're the guy from the one video who had his all his limbs blown off. Yeah. And he communicates through Morse code, generally saying things like, please kill me. Right. Um, you could still leave that review. You could, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just had the image of that guy from the video in my head. Beep, 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 beep. beep. Uh, he just said, uh, five stars will listen again. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you really like the show and uh, you want to give back, let's say let's say you've got five dollars expendable income per month. Let's say you like to go have a nice cup of Joe a couple of times. Yeah, um, and you really like the show, you could maybe have some cheaper coffee or not have coffee for a few months and donate to the show. We found lots of really fun, creative ways to say thank you for that. Mm-hmm. The very minimum is uh, we give you a shout out on the show. So we have some what five new patrons this week. Looks like we got five new ones. So one uh, one increased pledge. We got uh, Greg Stasso increased his pledge. Uh, Tyler Black and simply Graham, Austin Rohr and Timur. Timur. All right, thanks, guys. Timur sounds like a band name. <laughs> Good night, Dark Continent. We are Timur. We are Graham. <laughs> it's, we are Tyler Black. It's hard to overestimate uh, how important the Patreon support is, and uh, one of the ways that we try to say thank you for that is we ha- make these cover albums. That's right. Cover our world black. You and heard it last week. Creatively penned by Ethan Luck. That's right. You came up with that title. I, I did. Believe. Yeah. And, I come uh, up with the titles. <laughs> you come up with, with the jingles. Uh, the first two volumes, which we give to patrons for free, and and whatever volume's currently out is exclusive to patrons. It's not mm-hmm. available to anybody else until the next volume comes out. The first two volumes were Metallica covers, deep cuts, largely reimagined by Ethan and I, yeah. recorded on planes, trains, automobiles, tour buses, and green rooms and hotel rooms, literally across the entire world. Across the world, yeah. For this uh, third one, we did something a little different, and we each covered a song from Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam, Jam and Alice, Alice in Chains. Chains. We're going to play our two Alice in Chains songs on today's episode. Yeah. Some would dub those four bands the Big Four of Grunge. Mm. You did that? I've, 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 I've read that from time to time. Well, I've heard it, it told. Pleases me to call them the Big Four of Grunge. It was written on the scroll, on a, on a plaid scroll. <laughs> Written by lumberjacks, yes. Ex- extracted from the Puget Sound just off, off the coast of Seattle. Mm, pleases me to hear that dark poetry, sire. <laughs> uh, all right, so anyway, th- and there's other shit over there, too. We just gave out tickets to S&M, too. Yeah, no big deal. We gave tickets to Sling Castle. We gave away box sets, box sets rare vinyl, all sorts of shit. We want to make this a uh, podcast so that when it's all said and done, uh, it was really about giving back to the fans, which, right. by the way, and this is pertinent to today's yeah. episode, we learned from Metallica, a band that takes care of their fans. That's right. Which I think is a valuable nugget of info to keep hovering around your mind as we talk about the scalping Yes, issue. that's very important, I think. Go join us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher. For example, today's episode is dropping, and it will have been, what, around near 24 hours late 
Right. Because yeah. it's a Monday currently. We normally drop on Sundays at midnight. One of the ways that you learn that there will be a delay in an episode or what an episode might be about, or I sent pictures of the notes that we took today, is we do all sorts of interactive things that that have to do with the episode on the socials. Mm-hmm. And what, you're someone who's not on the socials? You're on the socials, so come join us and be a part of what's going on over here, too. Yeah. I literally know one person who's not on any social media. Besides, like, my, even my dad is on Instagram. You know what I mean? Like, You know Gandhi? I know Gandhi. Wow. No, the merch guy for Need to Breathe, he just told me he was like... I'm he, off the grid, bro. He got off Twitter, he got off Facebook, and then the last thing was, he's like, I'm not on Instagram anymore. I was like, all right, cool. And every time you see him, he's healthy and happy and having a good time. He's actually looking out at the sky and in the clouds. And And he knows how to talk to people and and engage people. He knows how to make a phone call again. He smells flowers. And he knows how to be bored. Yeah. Which I think is a really big thing we've lost. Yeah. Or that boredom is now inexcusable in a way. Like, no, you're you're not bored. There's, There's... Even if you don't want to leave your house, there's a thing in the palm of your hand. You can watch a movie. You can read a book. All these things, you know, and it's like, I'm bored. I think people, in a way, are more bored. And and it's because it, boredom in the face of that kind of desensitization is almost, uh, uh, oh, God, it's just egregious. Yeah. People are just like flipping through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and they're like, I'm bored. It's like when cable happened. Yeah. And you went from three channels to 900 channels. Right. And you're like, there's nothing on TV. There's nothing on TV. Or when your your parents just come back from the grocery store, there's nothing to eat in exactly. the fridge. Exactly. Yeah. I think when you, ha- when you have an over amount of anything, you know, like 900 channels or the fridge is fully stocked, it's like, it's just too much. You don't feel like making a decision. And you're as well, I'm just going to resort to not doing that. I'm bored now. And you don't focus and you don't appreciate shit. Right, yeah. And of course, we're, this is a blanket comment on culture, whatever. Someone's out there, we're like, I'm never bored on social media. I learn a lot. Yeah. I keep in contact with my niece and my g- grandfathers. <laughs> all right, well, you're Which fine. Which is great, too. <laughs> whatever, you're fine. Uh, having said all this, go to MelodyPodcast.com where you can see all sorts of fun stuff, but more importantly, you can support the show by getting merch. You can get the cover, our black and volume, volumes one and two EPs mm-hmm. over there for six bucks each, or five bucks each, five ninety eight. Five ninety eight. Yeah. Isn't that clever what we did there? You guys see that? You see it? And you can get the dagger and original gangster logo T-shirts in all sizes. They ship anywhere in the world. The world. We have a uh, robust email community. We get a, I don't know, we get what do we get? Twenty or thirty emails a, it's a every couple of weeks. It's crazy. Um, we're super behind on it in terms of personally responding. I have only been home for one day a week for like yeah, six weeks. Yeah, you have. Weeks. You've had a gnarly schedule. And I just got home yesterday, and I'm going back out. I'm flying out to Utah Wednesday. Dang. And I've had a fucking gnarly cold, too. Yeah. Which just, you know how it is on the road when you're sick. I've just been... It takes so much longer to kick it. Oh, God damn. Yeah. Well, you it's hard to because I'm not getting good sleep. You're on a freezing cold bus. I'm on a freezing cold bus, and the shows have been... There's like a big heat wave in the States right now. Yeah. It's been brutal, dude. It's been gnarly, yeah. And because it's summer festival-type season, yep. with every gig's outside. Yeah, we just, I just did a gig we need to breathe on Saturday, and, and it was sound check. I was in direct sunlight and was yeah. dripping with sweat just standing there. So it's hard on us. It's hard on our crew. It's hard on our gear. Yeah. It's just, but you know, but I like to make that money. Gotta make them dollar bills. Just like who else? Metallica, maybe? I don't, I don't know. Just kidding. Their ticket representative? Uh, listen, we get emails. Uh, we love hearing from everybody. We like to take the pulse of the Metal Up Your Podcast family. We read five per show. We're going to do that now in what we affectionately refer to as. The email corner. Let's journey to it. All 
All right, our first email is from Michael Barron. He says, hey, gents, I was wondering if either of you guys were planning on going to the Corn Allison Chain show at Bridgestone Arena next Friday, July 26th. Uh, I'm going and wouldn't mind meeting up for a drink or two uh, or just to say hi if y'all are going. Um, he says, rock on. Uh, well, Michael, uh, Clint will be out of town. What's the date of it? Oh, the it's, it's next. It's this coming Friday. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in uh, Colorado. Um, I want to try to go just to watch Allison Chains. You should I don't, go, I don't really care to watch Corn. I might watch a song or two if I go. Uh, I am going to try to go, though. Well, I have hung out with Michael. Uh, we went and got coffee over here near where I live. Yeah. He lives uh, He lives near town. Okay, cool. Obviously, he's going to the show. Right. And uh, he's a super cool dude. So meeting up with him would be uh, a benefit to you if you can make it swing. Yeah, that's awesome. He, uh, lastly, he says, uh, P.S., uh, I love your various jingles. Have you all thought about doing a roll-up of all of them and putting them out as one cohesive track? <laughs> I think it would be kind of fun, a uh, fun, neat, uh, sorry, neat, fun thing. And we all know Ethan likes fun. Yes, you do. I do. I do like fun. Uh, we could probably do something like Should that. Should we press it on vinyl? <laughs> yeah, totally. Put it on an 8-track. Yeah, totally. I mean, at this point, how many jingles do we have? Like 12 or something? Something like that. I don't know. Let's try to enumerate them, okay? First of all, the first jingle that ever happened on the show was the Letters from Samim jingle. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And Where are you, Samim? Samim, we're still, we're still thinking of you, man. Hang on a second. Samim! Paul, where's Samim? Paul, Paul? look for Samim. Samim? We have the the email jingle, email Patreon jingle. Patreon? Oh, no. Do we have, we don't have a Patreon jingle? But, uh, no, not really. It's just more of a commercial. We, we have Metal Madness, Metal Madness. Uh, the Dave Mist- Dave Mustaine reads Dave Mustaine's yeah. emails. Is there a Pawpaw jingle? Or no? Yeah, poetry with Pawpaw. Poetry with Pawpaw. Recipes with Outlaw Torben. Oh gosh, that's are you old... counting with your hands? Yes. Okay, because that's I, an old. That's an old one. Um, uh, what was the metal, one? I did I already did, say Metal Madness? You did say Metal Madness. You did one for uh, Metallica conspiracies. Yes. That's the one you did. Uh, we have a Paul Moke jingle. We have a Paul jingle. Uh, did we do... Um, <laughs> is it really a jingle, the Tony Timbali? So I dub the Tony Timbali. I think he's talking, about the, just, he's talking about the metal jingle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, man, what else do we got? What else do we got? That's seven right there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. I, well, maybe not. I don't know. Well, let's say this. There's at least seven. So yeah, and probably more to make too. I yeah, don't know. Who maybe knows? So uh, I I appreciate that people appreciate the jingles, our yeah. little black metal jingles. They're, They're fun. fun. All right, uh, thanks, Michael. Good to hear from you, dude. Tyler Black, new patron, says, "Hey guys, I discovered the podcast about two months ago while driving to Florida from Georgia, and all I listened to on the trip to and fro. He didn't say fro. I've put fro in there. I like that. To and fro, Saya. You got some good improvisa- improvisational skills. <laughs> thanks, bro. Thanks, fro." Uh, was Metal Up Your Podcast. Started with the load commentary and dove in head first. Flip it a page, slap it a base. For my first email, not only as a fan of the show, but also a fellow Metallica nerd, I just want to thank you two for starting the podcast. The chemistry between you guys really reminds me of my friends and I. All we talk about is movie references and Metallica and sometimes Dave Matthews. Ooh. Well, come on into the, the water's warm, my friend. Come on in. <laughs> come crash on in. <laughs> Get out from under the table and dreaming and come and don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. But come into the water, yeah. So much to say about the issue. In fact, too much to say. Too much to say. <laughs> wow. Uh the real reason I wanted to write the email was to see what you guys think is the best performance of a Metallica song live. Any song is eligible, but I want to know what you guys think. Well, let's just camp out there for a second. I don't know if I am steeped enough. In live performances, to like, here's what came to my mind: Woodstock '99, yeah, for whom the bell tolls, and Bleeding Me. 
Yeah. But I think that's just because I, I watched mean, it recently. 94 is great. I mean, I think the f- first thing to pop in my mind would be Blackened from Seattle 89. Yeah, totally. But I've paid, I've paid or put a lot of time into that recording, you know, yeah. into, into the video and audio. So, um, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, Dyer's Eve in, uh, was it Nimes? Oh, yeah, yeah. That one when they've played it for the first time in years or whatever. That yeah. one's great. Um, yeah, there's, there's some standouts for sure. Disposable Heroes from Mexico City is cool. Yeah. Um, you know what's really cool because I just got it on vinyl is the All Within My Hands Foundation uh, acoustic show. Yeah. And they open with that bitchin' weird version of Disposable Heroes. Yeah, it's so good. Which is really it's a cool. Great performance. That kind of stands out. Well, he weighs in himself here and he says, Mine is Creeping Death in Moscow from the 91 Monsters of Rock show. Everything about it's rad. The energy from right out of the gates, rad, and you can tell they're on fire. The way James says fuck after the end of the first chorus because he forgot he was in Russia and no one knew to sing the chorus for him. Kirk nails the solo. Jason's motherfucker die in his third verse. It completely encapsulates the energy and attitude they had in the Black Album era. Also, right before the solo, James screams, "Yeah, you know what? God damn it, Kirky baby, go!" <laughs> that shit gets me gets my hopes up every time. Anyway, done rambling. Thanks again for being the best podcast ever. Outlaw out. Outlaw out. Uh, and I have dialed up the That's Moscow cool. performance. You want to listen to it real quick? I'd love to. Yeah. My favorite explorer right there. The black ESP. Look at all those people, man. It's at least a hundred people there. At least a hundred. I had that shirt, Sabatru shirt. Kirk playing the old spider Les Paul. Jam. Could you imagine being in that show like the first time a concert like this has ever taken place, uh, Headfield on the Joe Rogan podcast talks about this show specifically. They pull up photos of it. And Joe Rogan's like, I can't believe you played in front of this many people. Wasn't it like a, mil- a million people or half a million? There, there are different accounts. Yeah. Still, half a million people is insane. I would have been terrified to be in the crowd. Oh. And they weren't even the headliner. I think ACDC was. Yeah, it was ACDC and the Black Crows. Says 1.6 million. Wow. Thousand militiamen standing guard around the stage. Ooh, Ooh. A little sour note by somebody. I think it was Kirky Kirk. Yeah. I think I'm hearing Kirk on the left, actually, which is weird. I just heard that. If that's the, it, you're right, and if that's the case, then that clam was James. Yeah, because it was on the right. He sucks. Yeah, so much fucking angst and energy. Motherfucker, come on. I mean, you know I'm going to say it all the time. I really miss Jason's BGVs. I love him wearing that Sabbath True shirt. Yeah. Definitely a vocal peak for James, too. Yeah. He sounds... It's like the peak of his first, like... 
he still sounds like Justice a little bit, right. but it's just the best of that. Yes, exactly. This is sort of pre-yodeling. It's before he started like getting a little cleaner in his, in his singing too. Here's the Kirky. Cookie baby, go! Cookie monster, go! Yeah, Kirk's on the left. Yeah. You need like 17 cats to do that part. Yeah. Meow, meow. Give me some kibble. Kirk's like, hell yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. Jason thumping away over there. Yep. Well, we're good. We've heard that. Man. Great fun, yeah. Fun to, fun to take a, a walk down memory lane on for that. Sure. Our next email is from Austin Rory says, hey, Clint Ethan. Hey. Hi. Um, I finally got to jump on the Patreon train. I'm stoked to support the show. Thank well, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I've been really enjoying the uh, Explore, Big, Explore the Big Four shows lately, and the other day while listening to Slayer's first record and hearing your Kill 'Em All podcast, it got me thinking, have you guys ever thought about comparing the albums of the Big Four? Uh, you guys can compare the first albums of each Big Four band or do their most recent albums. Uh, I'm sure you guys have tons of episode ideas and can be and are super busy, but I thought it was worth sharing. Love the content you guys put out. Austin. Well, we're always open to episode ideas, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like pitting the first Slayer record against Kill 'Em All. That's a cool idea. Or you know, How would we do that? <sighs> I mean, I guess this. See, I feel like it'd be unfair to do a sweet a, a, a metal madness on that. Well, it's I can like, already tell you, I'm going to like Metallica's more. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it might be fun to maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe just go back and forth, track by track, of two records. It'd be a long episode. But my, my intuition is that the Explore the Big Four series is sort of already doing a lot of this. Yeah. I don't know how we would take all four of their first records and do a meaningful analysis this is track one on slayer's record it goes like this right this is track one on metallica's record it goes like this i like this one better than that one right and i think the general consensus will be that we will like the metallica one better but it goddamn well better be (laughs) (laughs) this is a metallica podcast i'm told uh i I do like the uh any suggestions for episodes are are definitely welcome though yeah Uh, chris bell writes in greetings gentlemen my name's chris my name is chris chris Chris, baby chris bell uh thanks to your episode with Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, I found a way into your podcast, and my love of Metallica was reignited. Mm. Fan, fan in those flames. That's what we do. Not the first time we've heard that. Uh, it says, technically maybe began? I've always been a casual fan, but your insight, knowledge, and above all passion is so infectious, it's turned me into a super fan. Again, Metallica, send me some residuals. Yeah, no joke. Shit. We're we're actually making you some. Cash. How about instead of splitting these scalping tickets with uh, these dubious uh, third party promoters, why don't you kick it over to HQ One and Two, huh? Yeah. 
here's my address. Uh, he says, I reside in the east side of Brisbane, Australia, New Jersey. Yeah, good day. I've never seen Metallica live, but I finally got tickets. And what a way to pop the cherry with their stadium show coming up in October and having Slipknot support, which was my gateway into the world of your podcast. It's all coming full circle. Two worlds colliding. I was there. Uh, I'm at an odd stage in life at the moment. I'm in my early 30s. Have a beautiful fiance, a two-year-old daughter, and a son on the way. Congrats. Congrats. I feel as I get older, my group of friends are shrinking, even though my family's growing. He says, I work in the pest control industry. Don't worry, Clint. I'm very respective of boundaries, even though your bug guy was. (laughs) Damien. I work alone often, which is also a great way to dive into podcasts and music. However, I find my job and growing family is slowly isolating me, as I've always been a pretty social dude. This isn't a therapy session. I'm building to something. Since listening to your podcast, I can honestly say it takes me to a place of happiness and comfort and eases my slight anxiety of where I am socially in life. It's a hard transition into working long hours and providing for a family as more and more sacrifices come along the way. Totally worth it in the long run, though. Clint and Ethan, I truly appreciate the effort and work you both put into this. There's such an opportunity for different avenues with the format you've created for this podcast if Metallica ever ran its course. I wish you more continued success with the podcast, your amazing careers, and also in life in general. You both have a fan for life. Much love, Chris. What an oh, amazing email. That's so nice. And I got to say, Chris, I mean, and I appreciate what he's saying. It sounds like he already knows this, but I think a lot of people feel that way. We, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's also been, like he mentioned in the beginning of the email, there's been a lot of people that have had their love for the band reignited or maybe dove into records they hated before or, you know, like the loads or something like that. But I think what, I, well, to me, what's striking more is the, the sense of isolation as he gets mm-hmm. older, lack of community of people to talk to about right. Metallica or hard music. Or feeling like maybe his social life slipping away because he's now having to devote mm-hmm. more time to work and his family. Yeah, I know that I've felt that too, especially in a town like Nashville. Yeah, where yeah. it does seem like the, there's a currency to like if you're not going out, you know, if you're not going out and being social, you're losing some sort of social status or opportunities or something like that. You know, and that kind of stuff like he's talking about happens, man. And even if, with, even if you don't have kids, older you get, like your friend group can get, you know, a little smaller. I mean, other people start having kids, they maybe they move away, even it's moving a couple towns away. I mean, I have friends that moved to Franklin I never see anymore. Right. And that's cool. That's all good. Here are the top three compliments we get in the podcast. Number three, uh, the podcast has encouraged people to reconsider load and reload. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's happy. That's one of the happiest accomplishments of my life. Yes, totally. Number two, it's reignited a love for the band or even gotten someone excited about the band for the first time. Yes. Second favorite compliment. Number one, though, is that it has created a sense of community for people mm-hmm. who feel lonely. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I agree. Um, whether it's connecting uh, Katrina and Anya or mm-hmm. connecting Edgar and Tom Dean or uh, everyone, connecting yeah. the Saravan with people, right, connecting exactly. me and you with people all right, over the yeah. world. So, you know, I appreciate that Chris is feeling that and that he took the time to write in and say it. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much, Yeah, we appreciate Chris. it, Chris. Thank you. Uh, last email from Graham Smith. He says, hey, Clint Ethan, been loving your podcast for a couple of months and have now become a patron. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, absolutely love this podcast. I've been a Metallica fan since I heard Four Horsemen on a UK pirate radio station called Alice's Restaurant in 1983. What a sentence. Wow. Uh, possibly 84. And it, was, it was a long time ago. I was blown away. I first saw the boys at Donington 85. Holy shit. That's awesome. a cliff. Uh, then another four, 14 times in the next 10 years or so. Somehow I managed not to see them again until October 2017 in Birmingham on the hardwood, hardwired arena, hardwood. The hardwood floor. The hardwood floor of the hardwired that, arena tour. That show, by the way, Birmingham and uh, the arena show, was the Tom Quee's first Metallica show. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Two worlds colliding. It was like being 20 years old again. Thanks They'll to- never tear us apart. 
I don't know. Yeah. I was standing. <laughs> you were there. To work. <laughs> uh, Michael Hutchins back from the grave to come hey. to HQ2 and sing his beloved hit. No big They'll deal. Never tear us apart. Yeah. G'day, guys. It's been a while. Uh, thanks to you guys. Thanks to you guys. I've been giving the load some serious listening recently. There we go. Uh, some other time I'll tell you uh, my, about my meeting with Lars at FNM gig in uh, London story. Wow. I'd love to hear that story. Um, and the time I asked Hetfield for an autograph when he was being um, besieged by Japanese fans at a secret gig at the marquee in 1990. Wow. So here's the deal, Graham. That's Don't cool. tell us about these stories and then not tell us the goddamn stories. Yeah, exactly. Remind me to tell you the time that James Hetfield blew cocaine into my butt. Yeah. Well, tell me about tell it. Tell me now. I liked your Michael Hutchins. Uh, it's been a while, mate. You know, I might. Well, you live from Australia. Yeah. Well, and he's been a ghost for a long time. Yeah. He has. Remember when I hung myself from the. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> then when I went down, wasn't he in. Where did he pass away? In South Africa or something? Or. I don't know, but there, was a, but there was a belt involved, I yeah, believe. There was some. It he was, was having it, some fun. Party was, time. It was weird. Yeah. Have it's you ever. A bummer, because he was an amazing singer. Oh, my God. Like Freddie, Merc- Freddie Mercury level in front excess, man. man. I mean, if you haven't d- tapped in, in excess. Get kick immediately. Kick or X or Listen Like Thieves are great records. Have you ever heard the wonderful U2 song, Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of? Yeah. You've got to get yourself yeah, together. Yeah. That song he he wrote about Michael Hutchins. Oh, I didn't know that. That'll put a different tinge on wow, it. Wow, that's amazing. Here. That's Beautiful cool. song. Speaking of U2, I think I texted you this, but I, I found uh, Octoon Baby on cassette the other day. For a buck. For a dollar. Yeah. This dude's record store. I was in Kingsport, Tennessee, if anybody out there lives there. <clears throat> and uh, every cassette in there was a dollar. All cassettes a buck, and he had probably like ten crates full of cassettes. Mm. You can you can I mean one deep, so you can see everything. But. I I've been seeing Octoon Baby out in the wild cassette, but it's usually around five or six bucks. Yeah. So I'm not quite willing to spend that. The most I've spent on one cassette recently or in the last few months was ten bucks on Ride the Lightning. Ten bucks, the original one like Megaforce. Oh, it's Megaforce. It's not Electra. Well, well, no. The, the, originally, it was Electra as well because Kill 'Em All was originally just Megaforce. No. Megaforce also released Ride the Lightning. I thought they co- it was together, though. Megaforce and Electra. I believe that it was already out, and Electra re-released it, and they gave Megaforce some of the proceeds. That was part uh, of the signing deal. Oh, right. Then I might be our... just a Megaforce one. I'll have to check when I get home. Yeah, that'd be pretty dope if it is. Yeah. Be pretty damn pretty dope. Pretty dope. Um, all right, well, that's it on the emails. Thanks to everyone for sending them in. Metal up your podcast, show at gmail.com. Uh, we read all of them, even when we're kind of backed up. I mean, yeah, yeah, for even sure. when I haven't responded, I read them when they come. Yeah, in. Yeah, same here. Yeah, and I love hearing from you guys. We have them all. Fl- I think. I mean, honestly, dude, I think we're like maybe a hundred and ten emails Ooh. behind. I can. I'll, I can try to knock some of those out so, this week. <laughs> uh, but but don't let that fool anyone into thinking we don't care about that or we take advantage of it or we take mm-hmm. it for granted. Is right. Really, what I meant to say because we really don't. It's it's a really wild thing that we dreamed this podcast up two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and that all these years later that people give it shit enough to write in so we I really know. do appreciate that we're gonna let you hear uh my version of nutshell from yes, the forthcoming this is a good one cover our world black into volume three and we're gonna end the episode with ethan's version of down in a hole right my favorite Allison chain song oh i didn't know that yeah, my favorite one wow i think what really uh struck a chord with me mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. is the i love the chorus key change yeah it goes from d major to minor it's just i think it's just so beautiful and it's always been my i did a report on this song in high school hmm. i wish I'm gassy today, <laughs> burping. I had a, a Perrier on the way over here, so. Oh, thank goodness. Um, I think it was like sophomore year or something like that. But yeah, I did a report on the song "Down in a Hole." I wish I had it and could read it because it's probably embarrassing. Like about what? Like the lyrical I content? I think we had or? to do something. It was like an English class where we had to do a report on some kind of 
poem or something, and I asked the teacher, like, can I do it on a song? Oh, cool. Because I think that's poetry. And they're like, absolutely, sure. So I did it on Down in a Hole. Wow, cool. Yeah. The I, I mean, man, I mean, the first thing I ever heard was Man in the Box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I couldn't, I could not believe, I couldn't believe it. It was just my jam. Mm-hmm. I was the Man in the Box guy. And I do remember making a, uh, and then for whatever reason, the next thing I heard was Jar of Flies somehow. Oh, wow. Like, okay. I sort of bypassed Sap and maybe even Dirt. Yeah, because Jar of Flies was after Dirt. Yeah. So, so, it, the, the, so 1990 <clears throat> was Facelift. Yeah. And then it was Sap, and then Dirt, then Jar of Flies, then Self-Titled. Right. But just from whenever I came online, I had a lot to choose from. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think, like, you know, uh, Jar of Flies had a bunch of singles, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Uh, uh, no Excuses? No Excuses, huge. I Stay Away. Yep. And, uh, but... Surely at that time you heard, like, Rooster, though. That was a massive song for them. I'd probably heard Rooster or Down in a Hole, maybe goes like on this. the radio. <laughs> okay, here's how it goes. Hey, here come the Rooster. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? But, but, but my point is, whatever summer it was, the summer that Alice in Chains happened to yeah. me, I remember making a, uh, a mixtape, and all it was was Man in the Box and then Nutshell. And then Man in the Box, and then Nutshell. Oh, really? I filled the whole tape up, side A and side Back B. Back and forth. And I would go to the my neighborhood pool and just blast it. And other yeah. people would be at the pool trying right. to just enjoy themselves. <laughs> and you're over there blasting two songs right. on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I was. I remember being kind of embarrassed about it, uh, but dude, not enough to not do it. I remember getting obsessed with songs like that, where like I just wanted it on repeat. I, I, did, like, I, couldn't, can't, get, I couldn't get enough of yeah, it. Yeah, agreed. I'm still kind of that way about down in a hole. When it comes on in the car, yeah. like I'll just I'll hit if my phone's just plugged in or whatever, I'll repeat it. I'm like, God, I love this song. Well, that song is a true achievement of theirs. It's a it's a real masterpiece. It really it is harmonically, like, lyrically, uh, the the performance of mm-hmm. it, the recording is so good. Yep, the guitars are so great. What a great band! Oh my God, there's, I mean, it's still a great band. You know, I mean, a lot of people. I know we're kind of going in tangent world right here. We haven't even concluded the email corner, which but is weird because we've never done that. I know it's so weird. It's I'm sorry, guys. It's Very odd for us, us to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I know we, we've gushed about the current Alice in Chains record and that lineup with, you know, William Duvall on vocals and do their newest three, their last, sorry, most current three records kick so much ass. I think that it's well documented how much we back the current Alice in Chains 2.0. Right. But you know what? There was still a magic with Lane. Of course. That's, that's gone. Of course. And that's okay too. I think that, you know, I think that though Jerry's writing was such a huge part yeah. when Lane was around that like it, there's enough of that there um, that it's still the rhythm section at least is still there. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I saw them at the Ryman a couple years ago and it was so fucking good. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> I even got chills thinking about like Lane not being there and stuff, but how well William Duvall was doing too. I like was rooting for him, you know, but he, but I've been, I've been kind of going down rabbit holes too. I haven't seen them live with William, but yeah. like I've been watching cause I'm so into the new record and they're, as Michael wrote in earlier, they're touring it finally. Right, yeah. And so I'm this, so stoked. I'm like, you know, on YouTube, you can, you can, some people put hyperlinks to the set list. You can skip around. Yeah. I'm skipping to all the new songs. Yeah. Which is for a band to, for a band that has that many classic songs, mm-hmm. for me to be more excited right now about the new shit, right. it says a lot. But I will say about William, great, he looks like a total rock. He looks like fucking. It's like Lenny Kravitz or something. It, it, like When you think of a rock star, that's what William Duvall looks like. Super thin, cool hair, sunglasses, leather jacket, playing guitar. Really good guitar player, too. A yeah. good looking guy and a fucking beautiful singer. But he almost has the demeanor, and whether this is just his vibe or whether this was maybe orchestrated, whether subconsciously or consciously, he doesn't have that. Like Lane Staley didn't jump around a lot. No. 
but he would like take his shirt off and he would hold the mic, you yeah. know, with sunglasses on, and he would have such a presence. It was like seeing Robert Plant or something. Yeah, it William would, Duvall yeah. doesn't really have that. Jerry has rightly so become sort of the front man of right, Alice. Exactly. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, he is the front man of Alice, primary writer, yeah. lead guitar player, etc. Sings half the, you know. But there was a, but there was a cool like, it was almost like Joe Perry and Steve, Steven Tyler, right? Exactly. They had this great thing, mm-hmm. this front of the stage energy. Yeah. And now that William doesn't really do that, right? In my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, he's kind of he's he definitely has his own thing. He does. He's like I think he's more of a rock star. I think Lane was kind of like. In some ways, the kind of antithesis of a rock star. I was going to say an- that too, anti rock star. But that's um, what makes you a real rock star. Exactly. Yeah. He didn't. Re- you know, if you if you like jump to the middle of a show, he's got a shirt off and he looks like you know a rock star. Yeah. If you go to the very first song, he's wearing like a triple X t shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, not caring what he looked like. Yeah. And totally. that's kind of what it really is. Yeah. Totally. Is yeah. not giving a. It's a punk rock attitude. It is. Yeah. Look at us, man. <laughs> we should teach a fucking college course. On oh my this. god. <laughs> Professor Wells and Luck. Uh, well, having said all this, here's my version of Nutshell from the forthcoming cover, Our World Black in Volume 3, as we move on out of the email corner. The email corner. Can be my own 
Hey, it's Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we hope you're enjoying the Metal Tales from the Road series. If you've been keeping up with us, then you already know that we've covered every stop on the 2018-2019 North American Arena Tour, and we look forward to catching up with all of our European friends later this year on the Stadium Tour overseas. And there's more. After the Stadium Tour, we are continuing the Metal Tales series for any Metallica show in the past. Maybe you saw one of the Orion Festivals. Maybe you were at the Channel in 1984 and Cliff Burton bought you a beer. Maybe you were at one of the 30th anniversary shows, or you just saw a regular-ass show in North Dakota somewhere. We want to hear from you. Since Ethan and I started Metal Up Your Podcast, we've wanted to find a way for listeners to call in and share their stories. Well, this is it. To make yourself eligible for a future or past Metal Tales episode, please consider joining us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you not only get to come on the show as a guest... You also get both of our Cover Our World Blackened EPs, monthly giveaways like deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, posters, and other goodies. You get early access to our YouTube videos, and we also let you ask our guests like Ray Burton, Michael Wagner, Hailstorm, members of Slipknot, your very own questions. For what essentially amounts to two cups of coffee a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. For any of you on the ride with us, we love you, we thank you, peace, and adios. <laughs> Alright, so I'm going to sort of walk us through the Billboard article. And uh, I've got uh, some anecdotal articles and stuff. And I want to give a shout out to the forum user who goes by House96, okay. who I think is a fan of the show. Okay. And uh, he or she put a very salient, uh, cohesive timeline together because there's a huge thread. I mean, I think this thread is like 2,000 views and Jeez, like man. hundreds of, of replies on the forum because. You know, understandably, Metallica fans want to know what the fuck's going on. Right. Yeah. So, what we want to do, as I said at the top of the show, is just present the information, present the scandal, if you will, and then we'll sort of tease out the particulars and we'll come to some conclusions. Okay, great. So, this was originally reported by Billboard.com in an article entitled Secretly Recorded Phone Call Offers Window into How Live Nation Helped Metallica and Other Artists Place Tickets Directly on the Resale Market. So instantly, people are going to be pissed just at the title, I think. Well, like most things in today's culture, it's sort of clickbaitish, And right. uh, I will say the Billboard article is, is journalistically uh, robust, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't read with any type of bias, in my opinion. It's, right. It does a, a pretty good job of just presenting dispassionate facts. Yeah. But that is, a that is you, if you read just that article, you're like, oh, Metallica are a bunch of dickheads. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like Napster all over again. Right, exactly. <clears throat> I don't really think that's quite what's going on, but let's just figure it out together. Yeah, so, let's do it. What I wanted to do before I read the Billboard article is in 2009, so 10 years ago, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, who, by the way, is a huge hero of mine. Of course, yeah. Um, I've been a Nine Inch Nails fan my whole life, and anytime he's in the press or anytime he has something to say about culture or politics or art yeah, you want to listen super smart um he he cares a lot about how his work is presented to the world mm-hmm. he cares a lot about his fans which is going to be evident in this so he was kind of up against this in 2009 when they yeah. were booking whatever tour they were doing then and uh he went to straight to his fans on the nine inch nails forum and had this to say now the forum entry i think the forum altogether is gone yeah because around this time nine inch nails broke up yeah they kind of weren't really active. Well, he sold all their gear on eBay. Yeah. 
Do you remember that? I think I do. Yeah. He he literally was like, Nigel's over, and he sold all their like he sold like their old like Roland Junos and shit like Crazy. that he wrote Downward Spiral on and yeah. stuff. He just he, I wow. think I think he really thought it was over. Yeah. And I don't remember what the cause of it, like disillusionment or he was getting sober. I, I don't really remember. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is what he had to say. So uh, I'm just going to read some of this article. I encourage you all. So the Nine Channels Forum's gone, but you can find, if you just Google Trent Reznor scalping, mm-hmm. a lot of this will come up. But the best one to, to click on for those of you out there who want to do some further reading is the Stereo Gum article. Okay. Because they break it down a little bit, but they also have his entire post. Okay, cool. And this is what I have here. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I did highlight some stuff. Okay. And you don't have a copy of this right now. So you, you literally highlighted stuff. I can see it. Yeah. And so you're going to have to just be listening to me just like the listeners because I didn't make a copy of this for you. Perfect. Sorry. Gosh, Dad. I'm trying to save some fucking trees out here at HQ2. So he says, <clears throat> so this is him sort of breaking down the problem. And this is going to contextualize as, as we move forward into the Billboard article. Yeah. Okay. So again, this is from 2009. He says, Nine Inch Nails decides to tour this summer. We arrive at the conclusion that outdoor amphitheaters are the right venue for this outing for a variety of reasons we've thoroughly considered. In the past, Nine Inch Nails would sell the shows in each market to local promoters who then buy the show from us to sell to you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what people do. Like, That's how it works. Promoters yeah. are, are, are the people who take the risk, really. Yes. They, they, Nine Inch Nails says, hey, we want to hit uh, Des Moines and Chicago and uh, uh, you know Detroit, yeah. And local promoters in each of those cities buy the show mm-hmm. from Nine Inch Nails company, and then it's really up to them to sell the tickets, to promote the show, right? To negotiate advertising, merch, um, concessions, beer, drinks. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, bands will get paid up front for this whatever tour, right? And if the show doesn't sell well, that's not necessarily on the band; it's usually on the promoter, right? And that's why promoters take the risk. Mm-hmm. If you ever, uh, one of the best books I've ever read about this is a Kiss book called Kiss and Sell. And it's a former uh, accountant for the band Kiss who wrote kind of a tell all. Yeah. It's not a dirt book, right. but it's a tell all about the business side of a band like Kiss. Yeah. Okay. And it goes into a lot of depth about basically it's like promoters are gamblers. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. If a show really works and all the pieces come together with, transportation and parking and concessions and ticket hard ticket sales and the artist is plays a good show blah 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 they can make a lot of money yeah <laughs> make sure it's not a wasp on me <laughs> wasp. we were outside in a wasp dive bomb jesus Clint. christ um but they can also really lose their ass yeah absolutely and the band can sort of walk away still unscathed so it, it, it that's how it worked now he goes on to say live nation happens to own all the amphitheaters and bought most of the local promoters. So if you want to play those venues, you're being promoted by Live Nation. So it's a bit of a monopoly on this. If mm-hmm. Live Nation's buying all the venues and promoters, you essentially are doing your tours through Live Nation. Right. And that's and that's even more common now. I mean, they're they're straight up not even only, you know, buying venue. I mean, they're buying clubs and stuff now. Like I know the exit in here in Nashville, they've had multiple offers from Live Nation to sell to them. They won't. Well, yeah, and and they'd partner with Ticketmaster forever, but then they started their own ticketing Don't software. Don't they own so, Ticketmaster now? Yeah, they, they merged with yeah. it. So it's a big monopoly. Yeah. It's big business bullshit. He says, most of the dates on this tour are through Live Nation, some are through Ticketmaster. This is determined by the promoter, which, again, is Live Nation. Mm-hmm. He says, it's not determined by us. It's determined by the promoter. We sold the show. Yeah. So however they go about with the tickets is their prerogative. Yes. He says, the ticketing marketplace for rock concerts shows a real lack of sophistication, meaning this, the true market value of some tickets for some concerts is much higher than what the acts want to be perceived as charging. For example, there are some people who would be willing to pay $1,000 and up 
to be in the best seats for various shows, but most acts in the rock pop world don't want to come off as greedy pricks asking that much, even though the market says its value is that high. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, bands want to keep ticket prices low to not only so they can make sure they sell tickets, but also to maintain integrity with their fans. Right, yeah. But if we're talking straight economics and capitalism, the market value is actually higher than the face value Mm -hmm. because people are willing to pay a premium. Yeah, if there's more of a demand for it, it's going to go up in value. Exactly. Um, He says, the acts know this, the venues know this, the promoters know this, and the ticketing companies know this, and the scalpers really know this. So the venue, the promoter, the ticketing agency, and often the artist camp, which would be the artist management agent, all that shit, which is going to be pertinent to to the Metallica part, uh, he says, they all take tickets from the pool of available seats and feed them directly to the reseller, he says, which from this point on will be referred to by their true name, Scalpers. Yeah. And that's all That's all correct. <laughs> yes, totally correct. Um, he says, this is very common practice that happens more often than not. There's money to be made, and they feel they should participate in it. There are a number of scams that employ they employ to pull this off, uh, like StubHub. StubHub is an example. Yes. Yeah. Uh, ticketsnow.com is another example. Um which ticketsnow.com is owned by Ticketmaster. Okay. <laughs> which, is owned, which is partnered with Lab Nation. So what they're basically saying is if people are willing to pay all this money, we want to, in a quiet way, uh, capitalize put on some it. tickets yeah. out there directly into the secondary market so we can make that $1,000 and up yeah. rather than just making it all even in face value and first come, first serve. Right. Um, he says Nine Inch Nail gets 10% of the available seats for our own presale. We want a tough battle to get the best seats we require you to sign up at our site for free to get tickets. We limit the amount you can buy. We print your name on the tickets, and we have our own person to let you in a separate entrance where we check your ID to match the ticket. He says, we, meaning Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. have essentially stopped scalping by doing these things because we want true fans to be able to get the great seats and not get ripped off by these parasites. Right. Kind of sounds like Axl Rose. <laughs> these parasites. parasites. <laughs> um, he says, we're leaving money on the table by doing this, but it's not always about money. This is what I'm saying about Trent Reznor. You know, he's I love him, man. He's I want to go to one of his courses. So I'll end the Trent Reznor portion with this. He says, being completely honest, it is something I've had to consider, meaning this dubious way of dumping tickets into the secondary market. He says, if people are willing to pay a lot of money to sit up front and are going to do it anyway, thanks to the rigged system, why let that money go to the hands of the scalpers? He says, I'm the one busting my ass up on stage every night. The conclusion really came down to it not feeling like the right thing to do. Simple as that. Yeah. So, I think that's a really important point, and I think that's going to play into this Metallica thing. Yeah, it's a good thing to keep in mind while we go through these facts about this particular situation. Well, because he's saying they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So if we just get in on it the way it seems like Metallica and Co did, we can at least make the money that we deserve. It's the if the market value really is higher. Mm-hmm. That money should still the value of the ticket is because of of this artist of the artist yeah exactly and why let that extra money go into a scalper's pocket but the but the phrase that I actually learned from our dear friend Bono uh, that comes to mind is don't become a monster to kill a monster mm-hmm. that's immediately what I thought of when I thought of this so they're like well it's happening anyway so we should just become that so that we can profit from it and stop it and right. it's like well. There's, to, to me, there's a moral problem there. Yeah. But that's that's kind of just my own opinion. So going back to Metallica now that we've... Trent Reznor has very uh, eloquently broken down some of the problem. Yeah. So back to this article. Secretly recorded phone call offers window into how Live Nation helped Metallica and other artists place tickets directly on the resale market. So here's what's here, here are the facts. Here, here's how it breaks down. 
So in February of 2017, days before the announcement of the North American Worldwide Stadium Tour, which you saw in Philly. Philly. I saw in St. Louis. We saw in Detroit. We we saw it with Moak in Detroit. Yeah, the stadium. The stadium tours, right? Um, He says a very close, the article says, a very close associate of Metallica named Tony DiCiocio. How would you say that? DCOCO. By the way, the the main players, like the names of this, read like a fucking godfather. They totally do. Yeah. It's like or it's like Chicago in the twenties or something. Totally. Or New York too. Like Tony what is it? DiCiocio. DiCiocio. Tony DiCiocio swims with the fishes. Strap some bricks to his feet. All right. So a few days before this tour was announced, a very close associate, Tony, we'll refer to him from now on Tony D. Oh, good. Look at you. He asked Live Nation president of U.S. Consorts, Bob Rue, how do you say that? It's R-O-U-X. I, I think it's Rue. Rue? Yeah. To sell 88,000 tickets directly on resale sites like StubHub, which we mentioned before, are scalpers, denying fans a chance to buy those tickets through normal channels at face value. Okay. So, so 4400 per show is what the... Yeah, and we're going to get into how they sort of arrived at this. So this is an ex- excerpt from the article itself. It says... This is Roe talking. He says, Ticketmaster will not do it, Roe can be heard saying on the 11-minute call that Billboard reviewed in full, explaining that the plan to put the tickets on sites billed for resellers had to be concealed. So we're starting to get into what's a little shady about this. Right, yeah. Um, He suggested that, quote-unquote, either a Live Nation employee or a venue box office basically take these and sell them into a singular account, the way tickets are typically allocated to fan clubs or sponsors. Once the tickets were placed there, they'd be listed and sold on secondary market sites. When this happens, 4,600 tickets into a single account, said Roe on the call. There may be some eyebrows that get raised. So this phone call happened. Uh, let me just continue going through my notes. This, okay. It's kind of murky how all this happened. <laughs> right. So one of the Live Nation executives on that phone call was a guy named Von Millet, who we will henceforth refer to simply as Millet. Millet. He left Live Nation and formed his own promotional company called Outback Presents. So that means he's now in competition with Live Nation. But he used to work for them, and he's the one who secretly recorded this phone call. Yeah. So this guy's a shady motherfucker. Which apparently is legal. It is legal. Yeah. Uh, They were operating in New York and Texas, and in those states, it's legal to do that. Yeah, I think it is here, too. But just because it's legal doesn't mean it's cool. We're recording this conversation right now. It's it's legal. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Without the consent of of tens of thousands of Metal Gear Podcast fans? Yeah. Uh, He says, uh, or the article says... He recorded the call without anyone's knowledge, and he sent it to Live Nation last month, June 27th, as what I'm assuming was a bribe or a warning or blackmail because he's in competition with them. Right. I don't think he was counting on Live Nation being like, well, fuck you, and going to Billboard and leaking everything. Yeah, yeah. I think he thought he could bend their arm as their competition saying, look, I have proof that we were doing this together, and if you don't either let's say Ozzy's touring, I want to promote that tour. Yeah. Or I want you to give me your some of your business. Who knows what... we? Those are unknown. Yeah, yeah. It's unknown why he leaked it, but it, it doesn't... It seems to be malicious. It, it does, yeah. Absolutely does. Um, so Live Nation, in the face of the letter... So they just came out and just faced it, and they, they admitted that they have, quote-unquote, facilitated the quiet transfer of concert tickets directly into the hands of resellers through the years, though only at the request of the artists involved, saying that between... 2016 and 2017, about a dozen artists out of the thousands we work with asked us to do this, including Metallica. So this is Live Nation getting out in front of it, but basically blaming Metallica. Yeah, they're kind of throwing them under the bus a little bit. Like, 
they Metallica asked us to do. They're this. like, we only do it when bands ask us, and not that many do. But one of them was Metallica. Right. Yeah. So the secondary market. So this is what they're saying too. They're saying that the secondary market has suffered due to dynamic pricing, platinum seats, and VIP packages, meaning like the hardwired experience, right? Yeah. Um, pre-sales and stuff. So bands have found a way to make that face market value, or I'm sorry, the true market value, mm-hmm. by selling platinum experiences. Yes, totally. And Live Nation is basically saying the secondary market is not even as powerful as it used to be because bands do that now. Right. Yeah. Kiss is gonna Kiss is gonna sell a Gene Simmons played on stage bass for ten grand. Gene Simmons is just going to go bing, 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 bing. Yeah. Paul Stanley sells microphones at every gig that he sang into. Wow. For 250 I didn't bucks. Know that. They all sell guitars that they played on stage at every gig. Yeah. And the, the, that's legitimate. People, sure. No one's lying. No one's being deceitful. That's. The, I mean, if, you've got, if you have the money and you want one of Paul Stanley's guitars you played on stage, you're going to pay for it. But see, the difference is the transparency. Yes. But what, what Live Nation is saying, though, is that because of that stuff, secondary markets aren't really doing what they used to do. They said, but in this situation, a consultant for the band, Tony D, Tony D, opted to use the secondary market to try to capture that market value, a plan that would potentially have benefited Live Nation as well. Now, representatives for Metallica told Billboard that the band members themselves, Lars, Kirk, James, and Rob, were not aware at the time that Tony D had made the deal with Millette and Live Nation. Yeah. Because obviously the rub here is, did the boys know? And my, one of my questions would be, uh, when they did find out they clearly didn't know initially that he was making this deal. He probably thought, well, it's going to be extra money for the band. Of course, you know, everyone involved and that's going to be fine with that. But when they did find out the details of what he was doing, how was that? This is another unknown. How was that presented to them? Like, oh, hey, by the way, this is what we're doing. We're putting stuff in the secondary market uh, to capture that that market value. And, you know, we're going to split it this way. They might have been like, oh, okay, well, whatever, yeah, extra money, great, uh, you know. But, I mean, with the amount of money they're making on a tour, it's like this is kind of pennies to it, you know. Or the, or there may be so many cogs in the machine that this wouldn't be the type of thing that they would trouble the band with. Right. And also if they knew that the band might take a more um, principled stance and mm-hmm. and say no, they probably thought what they don't know won't hurt them. Right, because, I mean, that kind of stuff, you know, everyone listening has to understand, you know, when you're, when you're playing in a, any band – let alone a band of this size. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of people that you hire and trust mm-hmm. to take care of stuff that you don't even need to think about. This might be one of those things where this this Tony D guy is like, "Don't worry about me." You, you, you know, obviously, a lot of people, a lot of these articles are saying that he's like family to the band. I was going to say, speaking of trust, speaking yeah. to your exact point, people close to the band describe Tony D, who, by the way, is a former Q Prime manager and and currently a ticket consultant for Metallica. Mm-hmm. Also on the board of directors of the All Within My Hands Foundation. Oh, wow. They said that he is, quote-unquote, family to Metallica. Uh, a source claims that if there are five seats on the private jet flying home, it's the band and Tony. That's crazy. So that, that sort of sheds light on... That makes it harder to believe they didn't know. Mm-hmm. If this dude's... The, this isn't some sort of uh, faceless accountant for the band... Right, yeah. ...who deals with their ticketing... And they just they just hope it all works out, and he's got a good track record, and they trust him. Yeah, this is a dude that they consider family, and he's going to be on mm-hmm. the plane before Peter Minch or Cliff Bernstein. Right now, you know, and I'm I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here. It could be a thing too that he was doing kind of behind closed doors, but when he's out on the road with them, I mean, he's he kind of has a different 
a different person to deal with every day in regards to like tickets and promoters and stuff. So that's probably his job while he's traveling with them. I, I could. I think that's also guess. true. It's it's also true that he's close with him, but but that doesn't mean that when he's on the plane, he's explaining all the business to him. Right. Unless they ask directly, which it does seem like at least Lars. At least Lars, or I'd imagine if he if they are asking about business stuff on the flight home, let's say. It might be specific to that run of shows or to that show they just left or mm-hmm. something. So, hey, tonight, how is you know, ticket sales, right. blah, blah, blah. You know, it might not be like, oh, let's talk about that thing that happened last year or whatever. But Well, let's move through because we're going to continue teasing all this out. There's, there's more to say here. So Live Nation, so this is what happened. When a, when a band like Metallica wants to tour, they're like, we're going to do 20 stadiums in 2017 in North America. Different promoters bid to promote that tour. Mm-hmm. And it basically depends on whoever's going to cough up the most money. Give them the best deal. Exactly. You know? So Live Nation won the bid to be the promoter because they offered Metallica 95% of the profits. Woo! <laughs> that, so that, I mean, that's insane. That's, uh, yeah. That means Live Nation, first of all, had the, had the, the capital. They're a big enough company where they're like, look, 5% of a sure thing of sold out 40,000 to 50,000 tickets is still going to be good for us. Mm-hmm, yeah. So we, we'd rather have that than zero. Yeah, 5% is still going to be a lot of money. But smaller it. promoters wouldn't be able to give 95%. Right, That's exactly. What, so they sort of had the 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 infrastructure to ha- to make that kind of lopsided deal, and it still makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. So Live Nation wins the bid to promote the tour. That's great. That's public news. That's fine. Right. There was probably a big article about it. Yeah. But afterward, Rue and Tony D started talking about the direct direct-to-resale deal for an allotment of tickets. So it's 4,400 tickets over 20 shows, 88,000 tickets total. Rue, who is the president of U.S. Concerts, was able to negotiate this deal without consulting the CEO of Live Nation, Michael Rapino, who was the dude who negotiated and eventually won the promotional bid. Right. So Michael Rapino, the CEO of Live Nation, gets the bid. Yay, company's happy. Yay, We're going to make money. We're working with Metallica. This other dude, Roe, who seems also to be a dubious character, Mm-hmm. Uh, is in charge of U.S. tickets. Yeah. So he starts talking to Tony D., who's the guy that works for Metallica. Without consulting the CEO. Right. Well, he doesn't have to. Right. Um, So for Metallica, which is really Tony D., this all started with the Minneapolis show at the U.S. Bank Stadium on August 20th, 2016, basically the first Worldwired show. Yeah. This is where they debuted Hardwired. Ironically, they played Leopard Messiah at the (laughs) show. Yeah. now, what happened at the show is 10,000 tickets were sold on the secondary market by scalpers, but without any of the band's participation, partly because the Metallica and management, they priced the tickets low because they were concerned that people would, there would be a backlash if they priced them high. Right, that or they want to make sure they're filling the stadium. So too. they priced the tickets kind of low. They wanted to fill the stadium. Well, 10,000 of those tickets, which is no joke, got picked up by secondary markets yeah. and sold them for a premium, and they all sold. Was this almost like the... like like? With this whole deal he was trying to do, was this almost I want like the test show? Almost let's see if we can do this because every of the show it's like four forty four hundred hundred tickets. This one was ten thousand. Well, the, the, this just happened and they just they just observed it. Yeah, and this is what I, this is where I think the spark came into Tony D's mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he looked at he looked at the secondary market for that show and said, "Holy shit, StubHub sold ten thousand tickets. Yeah. F- at a premium. That's money that we didn't get. Yeah." So I think that's the spark. Right, is that one show? Yeah, yeah, and that, for sure. that show was kind of a one-off because the the North American Stadium tour didn't start until, the and that next, was before the next summer. Hardware even came out. Right, that's when they debuted Hardware, as he said. So, but. so I think you can start to see the flow chart here with the money people, the business people. Mm-hmm. Um, so after seeing the volume of secondary transactions for that show, 
and the benefit being captured by brokers, Live Nation said in its statement, the independent consultant, Tony D., worked with Live Nation on a unique distribution strategy that used the secondary market as sales distribution channel for select high-end tickets. A source familiar with the deal says the parties agreed that Metallica would get 40% of the resale revenue, Live Nation would get 40%, Tony D. gets 12%, and Millet from earlier gets 8%, though another source said Live Nation's share was lower. So, I mean, Metallica would stand to benefit from this. They're going to make the money. They're going to make almost half of all these sales. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so on the phone call, which no one has heard the call yet, right? That, except ha- that for, hasn't been except for Billboard, right? You can't like it's not public, right? It's an eleven-minute phone call. On the call in February 2017, days before Metallica put its tickets on sale, Rue told Millette that keeping the resale strategy a secret would be a challenge, but it's not clear who he was worried about finding out. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's the public. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, who else would he be worried about finding out? Unless he's talking about he doesn't want Metallica band members to find out. That's so far. Because what if they were like, you know what? I don't think that James and Lars, for example, would be yeah. cool with this. That's that's f- f- so far. That's where I'm leaning right now. Instead of the public. Instead of the public. Maybe it means both. I don't know. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that's true. It's an unknown. It just seems di- a little little shady. That's the part I'm trying to figure out with Tony. Uh, Rue is heard saying on the phone call, "You want to keep this quiet, but there isn't a good way for light bulbs to not go off." So they're definitely conspiring. Right, yeah. And Metallica being such a transparent band with their fans, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we're going to get into that. We'll get to that, yeah. Now, this is the last I'm little... Just, it's so hard not to, like, to blurb my thoughts out I know, as this I know. is going. But... So this is the last little thing. So Rue and Millette outlined how they would sell up to 4,400 tickets per show for 20 concerts on the tour. Millette would be given access to 2,600 premium tickets as well as 1,700 troubled seats that seemed harder for Live Nation to move. So that was kind of the gamble for this guy. Mm-hmm. They're like, look, we'll give you 2,600 good seats and you can mark them up to market price value and you'll make some scratch right. because this Millette guy is getting 8%. Um, but we're also going to ha- put on you almost 1,800 shitty seats. Yeah. And if you don't sell those, it's your ass. Yeah. Uh, and it looks like Millette ultimately did lose money on the deal after trying and failing to sell those tickets for six months, even though the tour grossed over $100 bucks, the ninth <laughs> highest grossing tour of the year. So it bit him in the ass. Uh, and then the way this all happened is this Millette guy got bummed that yeah. he didn't make the money, and he tried not to give his percentage over to the deal, to Tony D. Right. And it be- I think it became a big stink, and he left Live Nation and started his own company, and now he's trying to f- strong-arm them and fuck them yeah. and manipulate them uh, <clears throat> by claiming he's going to leak all this, and then Live Nation was like, fuck you, we'll leak it anyway. Yeah, totally. And we'll kind of just try to blame Metallica and squeak under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're it at. It just sounds like it's a lot of behind the scenes people getting in 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 fights and not in th- someone feeling something's not fair and then they start his own company he's trying to screw them. It's like that's this is kind of what I'm feeling so far is that it's it's all this stuff they wanted to keep under wraps maybe from the public maybe from the band. But even without all that there's a problem. I mean even without yeah. uh, he said she said right. the fact the facts that they worked this deal out are is a problem mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, it's not an insurmountable problem. I'm not sure what it means, but it it doesn't change that they made this deal. Tony C, or Tony, yeah, Tony D. Tony made, D. Made the deal on behalf of Metallica. Right. Now, I think what's important to remember, and I, I've got some info here, it's like any relationship. It's like when your spouse or your friend does something um, harmful to the friendship. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? So... Do you just write them off? Is it over? Or do you take into consideration 
your entire relationship. Right, yeah. And I think that's what we have to do here. Now, James, James has talked specifically about scalping. Um, when he was promoting the World Wire Tour, he was doing an interview, and he was asked, he says, your charity show drew controversy over ticket prices that were jacked up by resellers on the secondary market. Do you get frustrated when you see that happen? This is him talking directly about what we're talking about. Right. This is what James had to say. He said, that's their karma. They're always, there's always going to be someone who has an agenda, and they're going to scoop up as many tickets as they can. You can't stop that. I would just say to fans, beware and be smart about it. The interviewer goes on to say, do you think Ticketmaster and other ticket sellers have a responsibility to implement more technology to prevent mass resales? And James has this to say. Technology can help for sure. The way things are, as he says, the way certain things work with security online, it's harder for me to even get on an airplane. It's hard to believe something more can't be done. There's legal scalping out there too, which is frustrating, your stub hubs and whatnot. All of a sudden, hey, wow, we just sold 10,000 tickets. And where did they go? To one place? Interesting. He says, we're aware of it and doing what we can. At the end of the day, the fans get screwed and we get screwed. That shouldn't happen. Hmm. So so we have to we have to take that into consideration. Now, right. is James full of shit? I don't think so. I don't think so, yeah. To me, that, that tends to put the argument in the camp of he probably didn't know. Mm-hmm. And maybe they were trying to keep it from him. Yeah. Unless this is all just grandstanding bullshit. And when it comes down to the money, they're going to try to get the money they need. Right. I, I was just thinking this morning about all this. I'm like... And looking at a lot of fan react, a lot of people are really upset. Sure, some people have even basically said they're done with Metallica. Wow, okay. Um, that's not the strongest voice out there, but the people are saying that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think like let's consider this when it so are Metallica being greedy assholes? They're going to get forty percent of eighty eight thousand tickets, right? On a tour where they're making where they're making that so much money, one hundred and eleven million in one year. So that is the gross and the, right? But they got they got their overhead. They got to pay their crew. Of they got to pay yeah, their yeah, production, yeah. but. Think about all the stuff they do, right, for the fans. So, first of all, they donate all their leftover catering to local food banks. Which is huge, by the way. You and I know this from touring and having Absolutely. catering on the road. It's insane how much food gets tossed in the trash at the end of a night of a tour, when you're, especially when you're feeding a crew of whatever they have, 150 or something. That's a lot of food. So, it's amazing. They and, do that. and think of, like, every show they donate. It's like a dollar per ticket or whatever. They donate. We see the checks every mm-hmm. day. They donate to the local food bank. Yeah. They do their day of service. They donated to all those community colleges, the All Within My Hands Foundation uh, show yep. that they did all the auctions where our friend Chris Shearer just got to hang out with Torben. Right. All of that went to charity. Yeah. Um, the Snake Pit is is not. They don't put a premium on the Snake Pit. You can't buy the Snake Pit. Mm-hmm. That's for that's for fans. Yep. It's a lottery. Same with the meet and greet. They do legacy fan club pre sales. Yep. They do fifth member pre sales. Um. It's interesting that the S&M show, the first one that got so fucked up, yeah. and then tickets were on StubHub or like 15 grand. Right. I think we're starting to understand why that may have happened. But what did they do? They did the second show for fan members only. Yeah, that, that's... Which doesn't really seem to jive with them being greedy assholes. It doesn't seem to jive <clears throat> even with that, like that guy's story that... Not, not necessarily the, the validity of his story, but that Metallica was giving the thumbs up to like, yeah, put a bunch of those S&M tickets over on... StubHub or whatever, you know their their team may have done it though, right? I mean, this sounds like right up Tony D's alley, yeah. Um, because those tickets were insane, and and just notoriously, fans couldn't get them, mm-hmm. yeah. And let's just keep in mind: here's the problem: they're taking eighty eight thousand tickets over those twenty shows were not available to fans, right? In the primary market at face value, yeah, intentionally, right? It's not like they didn't sell; they were in. 
they you were know, they were intentionally withheld probably before they even went on sale Met- and then thrown over. Metallica, there. meaning the company, yeah, colluded with Live Nation to take eighty-eight thousand tickets and intentionally not make them available mm-hmm. to fans, right? And sold them on the resale market and profited from it, and sort of artificially inflated the market value of the tickets. Right. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah, it is a problem, for sure. Um, uh, another thing I just wanted to mention, just to, to continue um, praising Metallica for giving the fans, the 30th anniversary shows, those tickets were $19.81. Awesome. You talk about fair market value price, those four shows were in clubs. What Whatever club that was. Is it the Fillmore in San Francisco? They could have charged... So much fucking money for 500 those bucks tickets. a ticket easily, easily, and everyone and it would still sell out. I, mean, that I, place I think, holds I think a, more than that 1200 people, maybe? yeah. It's a club, yeah. Um, and think about also the black tickets that they offer. I mean, mm-hmm. if you really take advantage of that black ticket, and if for example, if you went to all 35 whatever North American yeah. shows, that brings the ticket down to what I mean, it was like what 600 bucks, yeah, 600 bucks. So you're you know, so they do they do things like that that I think we have to consider. Yes, is Malik, we do. Is, is Metall- it's same with Napster. Is Metallica trying to hose their fans or take their fans for a fucking ride? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I mean, they're, I think they're going to do everything within their power to make sure that the fans are treated fairly and that, again, like Napster, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that they're in charge of how things go. Like with Napster, they wanted to make sure that we want to decide how our music's released. We don't want you to decide just to throw it up there and never can take it for free, you know. So does that mean that they chose to put these thirty-three thousand tickets on the secondary market, or or was that kind of behind their back in a way? I think it also. I, I guess the problem really is just transparency. They didn't really stand to make that much money in the grand scheme of things from this, but maybe Tony D was also using it as an example to gather information about market value. Yeah, that or or. I guess in his defense, maybe, you know, do something like this to maybe in the future figure out a way to s- make sure scalpers get less money. I yeah, but, then, but then they're becoming, you know, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And yeah, it's, they're it's becoming like, scalpers themselves. Paul! Um, it's really complicated. I mean, I could see the argument that, like, look, uh, let's, let's, let's do 4,000 tickets a show to see what the market, to see if people pay the market value price, the premium price. Right. And that way, next time around, we can charge more for those tickets. Yeah. It might have been research, too. The problem, again, as I see it, is the lack of transparency. Yeah, why do it on just the stadium tour and then not the Arena US tour? That would be... That would be... I think because of that Minneapolis show. That Minneapolis show, they were like, holy shit. Yeah. We sold 10,000 10, tickets, were sold that way, yeah. and we didn't make any of that money, and we're the ones putting the show on it's our product yeah totally so i understand that so okay so let's just get into the reactions to this um what do you make of the people there are definitely a a group of people some are vocal on the forums there's one total dickhead on the forums (laughs) who's basically like what's the big deal this has been going on forever yeah it's their product they can price it however they want this isn't new people have been doing it you know everyone else is doing it there's sort of a moral equivalency argument mm-hmm. happening, right? What do you make of that? <clears throat> um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't love it by any means. I, I, I think it's, I think it is weird that uh, an artist, or and by this, I'm not saying James and Lars. I'm saying the company of Metallica. I think it is weird to take that many tickets away from 
fans to, to not give them the opportunity to buy them at face value. Um, maybe it makes more sense if you're a band that has doesn't have the kind of income that Metallica does. You know, like, oh, wow, like we're a mid-level band. If we put these over here, they'll go up a little bit. We can each split some money. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, it just seems odd to me that, that that they would sign off on something like this with how fan-friendly they are. Even the last few things you read off and what they do. Um, or even putting on that S&M2 show to kind of make it right for the people that got screwed at the first one. Right. You know, they always seem to jump on stuff to, to make their fans happy. Right. You know, because they really, truly care about their fans. So it just seems weird. And even with the argument of, you know, well, might as, we might as well be getting that money, not some scalper. It's like, well, you're still, the point is you're still charging a ton of money or, or you know, that, that secondary side is charging a ton of money and now you're going to split some of that money. But it's, that's still out of the pocket of your, of your loyal fans are going to, you know, and, then and the, some and might the, have no choice. You and know, then that, right. Well, well, the guy the playing devil's advocate, the guy I mentioned yeah. or whatever, who just is going to just be the template for this argument. Yeah. He would say, uh, no one's forcing you to buy the ticket at that price. Sure. It's, it's still your decision. It is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are making the argument too of like, a lot of people haven't had to buy secondary market tickets. They're like, they're either in the fifth member or they're the legacy. Uh-huh, or they, right. uh, true diehards are sort of hip to ways to get tickets before yeah, general absolutely. public. But then it kind of just bums me out about the the inner Sandman fans out there mm-hmm. who maybe love the band as much as you write. Even just because they don't host a fucking podcast doesn't mean <laughs> right. they shouldn't have a fair crack at a face value ticket. Yeah, and it still rubs me. I'm still rubbed by it. Yeah, yeah. and also. Um, Rue talking to Millette about the, when they're trying to figure out, ooh, the light bulbs are going to go off. We have to do this cleanly. It's going to raise eyebrows. One of the things that Rue told Millette to do was to register a new URL and email address that's more quote unquote Q primish or Metallica sounding to mask the transfer and not raise any eyebrows. That's just that's not sh- that's shady. That's not good, dude. That's just shady stuff, man. It's not good. Um, and again, I guess I guess spiritually, the crux comes down to. Did the boys know? That's I think that's the bi- the big question everyone wants to know. And I know there are the people that are out there that are just like, you know, they see the headline, the clickbait thing. And they're like, oh, fuck this band. I'm done with them. Well, it's not that simple, obviously. Right. I think also the people out there saying it's no big deal. I think that's a load of shit, too. I think it is a big deal. I, it is a big deal and, and potentially could be a bigger deal. I think there's still a lot of unknowns about it, too. What, is it, what would it mean to you if Lars came out and said, we did know about it. We were trying to, we were trying to take money that we thought we deserved. We were trying to gather information about market value, which any business would do. Yeah. Um, we may have made a mistake. We don't want to betray your trust, but we did. We did know about it. What would yeah. that mean for you? I mean, I, I I feel like there'd be a little bit of a sense of betrayal. I mean, maybe not to me personally, but as as a fan, as a as part of that community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, again, I think going back to them maybe deliberately withholding tickets from like diehard fans and let's say the the show is sold out from Metallica.com, but then, okay, I got to go to StubHub now. Fuck, I got to pay 400 more dollars for this nosebleed seat or right. whatever. You know, knowing that I'd be, it would be, it'd be a big kick to the gut. Like, great. Like I'm, I got screwed on this deal because I couldn't get those tickets and I have to go over here and get these ones that are jacked up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, would a part of me be like, well, at least some of that money's going to the band, you know, 
Yeah. But then someone's going to Live Nation. Someone's going to this other dickhead over here. I don't yeah, know. It's, it a, is... it's, a, it's a tough thing. I mean, I, I, it wouldn't, I don't think it would at all make me give up on the band or end this podcast or, you know what I mean? Like, to me, it's not something that's that gigantic that would end my love for this band. What if, what if they never, what if there's no statement? What, do you need, do you like for some sort of closure on this issue, do you need a statement from the band? I don't know if I need a statement from the band, to be honest. I would, I am curious. My curiosity wants one for sure. But if they end up not even addressing it personally from Lars or whoever, um, I think I'll eventually forget about it. I don't know. I mean, not forget about it because we're doing a whole episode on this thing, but um, I don't know. I mean, my curiosity would just want to know, hey, what's what's this? What, what are the unknowns here? I want to know some more details about this. You right. know? But I don't think it would eat, it would eat me up. Um, I would imagine they're not... Not, I mean, they said it's specifically just for the stadium run of shows, those 20 shows. So as far as we know, they haven't done it since. Well, but that's that's just because, you know, this Millette guy bl- fucking sent the, tried to blackmail Live Nation right. and Live Nation blew it up. Right. So I don't know who they worked with in Europe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if similar deals are being made. I don't know if they're going to do yep. that in the future. Um, it does seem, though, as, 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 like this has kind of been my thought the whole, the whole time. And, and since I first read this over the weekend was... They're such a fan-friendly band. They aren't hurting for money. The amount of money they're making on this 40% or whatever that the, that the organization of Metallica is making off this 40% of these 88,000 tickets in comparison to what they are grossing on this tour after expenses and what they make in royalty, all this stuff, all the money that comes into that organization, is this, this 40% is probably not that much for them. Now, as a business of that size, you still take that stuff serious and you still, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not nearly the amount that we're going to make over here, but it's still money, it's still income coming into the company. There are some people saying this Tony D guy should be fired. I did read that online too, that, they, that he still technically works for the band, but I mean, mm-hmm. this just came out, what, a day ago, two days ago? Well, he's a chairman of the board of their charitable foundation. Right. I don't think it's going to be something that they're just going to fire that quick, Um it could be a thing where, where there's, and this is kind of my hope that the band is learning about a lot of these details. Like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Like, like I think we, we kind of talked about this before we started recording when I got over here. Um, was, um, shit, where's my point? Damn it. Uh, <laughs> I just went blank. Shit. Uh, I, I think along the lines of maybe it was presented to the boys in the band as, as something a little easier and safer than it actually was. You know, like I know Lars is obviously, I mean, all, Lars and James are, they know everything that's going on in the band, but I, you know, you hire people in your camp that can be trusted for certain things that can make deals on your behalf. But it also like the argument of like, well, the, the, it's not like they were trying to get rich. It's not that much money. That argument actually works against them too, where it's like you were willing to leverage your trust with your fan base mm-hmm. for, for what didn't amount to a lot of money. Right. Um, to, to what? To experiment with market value or to, try to stick it to scalpers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah. it's like what Trent Reznor said, you know, yeah. like Trent Reznor's like, look, I've had to consider doing this yeah. because it's going to happen anyway. And I'm the one f- up there mm-hmm. and people don't buy records anymore. And right. I, and I have to sort of figure out how to rebalance my income. Yep. Um, but like Trent said, at the end of the day, it's just not something we were willing to do on a moral level. Right. Exactly. That's, that's the moral side of this with, the band personally is where I'm kind of 
very, very curious. And there's there's a whole argument on the forum just to try to represent everyone that's like, who are we to judge, you know, business ethics and morals and who, you know, who am I to judge, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, I think the whole moral blank check thing is pretty jive. Mm-hmm. I think that people are capable of judging a moral situation. Sure. And if you're backing out of that, if you're like hesitant to, it makes me wonder like what kind of weird shit you're up to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to judge it. But you know why? Because you don't want the heat on you either. <laughs> exactly. I don't rip people off in my life. Or sometimes it's just information that, like, once you're presented with that, you, you can't leave your brain. You're like, damn it, I wish I didn't know that. Well, you know, but in this situation, I, I guess at the end of the day, I'm just really confused if they knew all these details that we just read through mm-hmm. going into this. Because they're, they're, in my mind, they're not that kind of band that would the evidence, risk the yeah. reputation. Yeah, or the, or the connection with their. Fans. I agree. the ev- The evidence suggests otherwise, and I think too, it's also worth pointing out, like another relationship, um, someone you love can do something that disappoints you, but it doesn't mean they don't love you, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't. You really, you know, with my wife and I, when we, whatever conflicts you have, I have this in my friendships too. Yeah. Sometimes shit gets weird, and sometimes people let you down, mm-hmm. but you know, I always look at relationships. I don't really believe in unconditional love. I think that's a really strange concept. I think that you have to earn love. Sure. But I do think there are times when, like in a friendship, if someone's really going through some crazy shit and they they got to lean on you, mm-hmm. you've got some good sauce in the bank. The friendship has stored up goodwill in the bank yes. of your friendship. And sometimes they come in and cash out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But eventually it's got to level out and you got to store it back up. Yes, totally. That's that's how love works, I think. Right. You know, think about some of our family members that mm-hmm. you and I, we're not going to get into details on this, but you and I have similar issues with family members. You yeah. don't choose who your family is. Yep. Um, but I think you and I have come to certain places with certain family members where it's like, look, dude, my love is not free. Yeah. And you have to, you have to start putting into that bank. Yeah. And I think Metallica has spent 35 years putting a lot of goodwill yeah, that's into a, that. Espe- I mean, God, especially in the last like 10 years or so, mm-hmm. there's so many things they're doing, like the all within my hand stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like any like charity stuff they do and uh, donating money every show to local food banks and stuff. It's like all these things that we've, I mean, we've gushed over for dozens of episodes of what a fan friendly band they are. Yeah. And again, I'll repeat it. I just find it hard to believe that they would, knowing all this stuff that we just read, that they would willfully go forward with something like this and risk that relationship with their fans. Yeah, and I'll take it even further. I mean, I, th- I think what I'm trying to say, and and by the way, caveat, we're not telling any Metallica fan how to feel about this. No, you're no, gonna no, have this to, is our, just our thoughts. Here. You're going to have to figure out what your line is and if it's crossed and how you're going to move forward. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's up for you guys. Yeah. Um, I think for me, even if they did know, I don't think it was malicious. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been business and trying to do research on market value, trying to reclaim the scalping profits right, that they yeah. think belong to them. This is this is if they knew. Yes. Which yes. we again we don't know. We don't know that. Yeah. But I think for me, where I'm choosing to put it for me is in the context of a of a relationship that that is complicated. Mm-hmm. And I think that the I have enough goodwill in on my side. Yeah, from them that they've earned, uh, that will get me through this with Metallica. Yeah, exactly. I I do I I am in the camp of where I'd really like to hear a statement. Uh, yeah, I mean I would. Um, but well, so to throw the question back to you, mm-hmm. 
how would you feel if no statement ever came out and, and what we have here, that was it, and then it just kind of faded away? I think that not saying anything is smart, but it's not. Uh, that's not really going to cut it for me mm-hmm. spiritually. Sure. I, I would like to hear something, but yeah. uh, I'm not going to quit listening to the band. I do feel like if nothing ever, if they just sort of keep their heads down and let, you know wait for it to go away, I think it's going to linger with me for a while, yeah. especially the next time they tour near here and right, I'm thinking show. about tickets. Yeah. It makes me feel weird about S&M 1. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but again, they made that right with S&M 2. I mean, it does seem like they wouldn't have done that if they weren't concerned about this kind of thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Or even, even in some of the, those things that you read uh, from the interview with James. What I would ideally like to hear, and obviously this is just me and I'm not telling them how to fucking address this or anything. Yeah. I'd like to either hear um, we didn't know mm-hmm. and we're sorry <laughs> and we're going to make sure this doesn't happen. Right. Or And dude is fired. <laughs> or we didn't know the extent of it. We were trying to the A, B, and C and uh, we got caught and it sucks and we, you know, I don't know, something like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said before, it could be some kind of business move to 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 test some something. You know, I mean, like test this idea. Okay, let's let's try to combat this scalping thing. Like, let's throw our tickets in there. But they're already doing that with the VIP stuff. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. It's kind of we're gonna wait and see. But but I do think what was important to, for you and I to get together because we got so many messages about this yeah. is like hopefully this episode has helped you guys out there have a place to put it at least for now yeah you can reserve judgment more info is might, probably going to come in and uh I, I you know they that band is so important to me that mm-hmm. i can i can live through this right and i think you know i i feel like in the when, in the next probably week or so i feel like th- they'll probably say something that's my gut well they ha- you know they just finished their the, this leg they're in, probably in on airplanes right now <laughs> they're gonna get home they're gonna have a well-deserved 15 to 20 days off. They'll probably have a, a, at least on the phone meeting with their, with management and be like, okay, this is obviously in the news. How are we going to address this? Or, or they might, who knows if they don't, if they didn't know the extent of this, they might be asking questions themselves. Like, Tony D's like, yeah, see, yeah, see what we did uh, see is we put 4,400 tickets to show on the secondary market. See, you see, and then I talked to Rue over there and he makes a great Rue if he's from New Orleans. Oh, so. Rue makes a great goulash and a Rue and a ratatouille <laughs> too. Yeah. See, yeah. When we get live nation involved too. See, yeah. We'll put them on the secondary market. See, it's the bubble. See, hey, we yeah. start with Minneapolis. We're a test market. Yeah. Think? See, people don't buy records anymore. See, we got to make up that money somehow. See, yes. I think it was more important for these other dummies to make the money than it is from Metallica. Hey, well, that's another option that I'll accept is like, Hey, this guy was acting uh, a rogue, um, a rogue ticket consultant, a rogue slime ball and trying to make money off our fans. And he's duly fired. And we're going to invite Clinton Ethan to come live at proper HQ. And they're going to co-write our next record with us. And they're going to, and they're also going to join the band and we're going to give them all of our memorabilia that Lars keeps in his basement. Yeah, they're going to take Lady Justice home. It's going to be set up in HQ1. I'm going to have the big Ride the Lightning banner in my bedroom. <laughs> it can literally cover your entire house. <laughs> uh, well, I think we've said all there is to say currently. Yeah. Um, you know, let us know your thoughts out there. Metal Up Your yeah, Podcast Show do. at gmail.com. We, like, we're curious what you guys think. And, you know, may- maybe we're looking at it differently. And maybe there's different angles yeah. we haven't considered. And we tried to cover as much as we could. I mean, this is all just sort of breaking and, you know... I, I was on the road and sick and trying mm-hmm. to just figure all this shit out. So 
Uh, we'll just put a we'll put a pin in it for now. Yeah, this will be up on the old bulletin board, waiting to get readdressed. Um, and of course, you know, follow us on the socials. We'll probably, you know, if if something does come out, we'll probably repost it or maybe, you know, post a couple little thoughts yep. here and there. But um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. We'll see how it kind of plays out. Um, I don't think this is as de- won't be as devastating to the band as like the Napster thing. I mean, that was huge, obviously. So I, I think something like this. Regardless of the outcome, I think the band will will overcome and, and get through, and I'll you know we'll most likely also be fans. Well, I mean, I certainly hope so. I hope and, so too, and we yeah. will certainly see. Right. All right. Well, cool. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Go leave the review. Don't not do it, please. Do it, even if you're the guy from the one video. And uh, check out the uh, Patreon. A lot of cool shit going on over there. We're going to leave you with Ethan's wonderful version of "Down in a Hole." Yeah. From Cover Our World Black and Volume Three, and we're going to make this one short and sweet and just say peace. Adios.
say, what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs> 